last series now we start entitled The One. This is the series for Christmas. Love Christmas. It's the title is The One. Um, one of the most influential and impactful authors ever is a guy named Alfred Edersheim. Edersheim lived in the 1800s. He was a brilliant scholar. A lot of times you hear of someone being a scholar and they're really not. They just think they are. This guy was amazing. He was Jewish, became a convert to Christianity. He was brilliant in Judaism, brilliant in Christianity. He wrote an amazing book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. If I had to get rid of all the books in my library and just had one book in my library like Joe Andrews does, if I could just have one book in my library, it would be The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And in that book, Edersheim says this, if Jesus is not the Messiah, the world has not and never can have a Messiah. If Jesus isn't the Messiah, the world has not, it'll never have someone be the Messiah because Jesus is the only one who can be that. He's the only one. I say this all the time. In the Old Testament, we have a book that gives us promises. In the New Testament, we have a book that tells us how those promises were fulfilled. And what I want you to see throughout these next four weeks in this Christmas series is this. That in Jesus, God kept his promise. He is the one. In Jesus, God kept all that promise. He is the one. We're going to be in the book of Matthew this Christmas season, chapter 1 and 2. I'm actually going to start today in Matthew 1.1 1, 1, in a message entitled, The One Who Is The One. I'm going to start with the genealogy of Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. Genealogies are so boring. And they are. They really are. But don't go to sleep yet. Just hang on. We'll try to make this one come alive just a little bit. But in the message today, here's what I really want you to get. Here's what I want you to see, and it's this. There was only one who can change your life, who can forgive your sin, and bring you to God. And that one is Jesus. There's only one who can do that. In all of history, there is one. Jesus so we come to Matthew's gospel, and as we come, I'm just going to share with you to start off with that Matthew begins his story with family. Christmas is all about family, and there's lots of family at Christmas. I mean, a lot of you are excited. Your family's coming. You're excited. Some of you aren't excited about family coming. I won't name names because I, know, you know, I don't want to embarrass you, but you know who you are. And some of you, you got some, you got some of those family members, you just don't want to see them. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, not my family. We don't have that. If you think in your family there's not that one person nobody wants to see, that's because it's you. <laughs> You're the it, man. I got you. I'm in my family. Family, but Christmas, you know, we, we celebrate Jesus. I mean, and we do. And, and, and I'm, don't be one of those people that think you got to correct everybody all the time about Christmas. If someone says happy holidays, just go with it. You know what holiday it is? I think you do. We all know. Just be that, be that person that celebrates. And you come to the Gospels, they celebrate Jesus. They celebrate his birth. We don't have a lot of information about the birth of Jesus. We really don't. So much of the, the things we talk about are celebrated. We just kind of came up over history over time. But the actual information is very little. Matthew and Luke have it. Now, Matthew and Luke wrote about the same time as Mark. They were all wrote about the same time. They probably knew each other were writing. They all knew each other. These guys all knew one another. And there's some of the information is the same. They probably shared and borrowed and all that. But Matthew tells a very unique story about Jesus. And when he tells his story, this is how Matthew begins. He says, this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the record. This is the account of Jesus, who is the Messiah. Now, what Matthew wants to focus on is the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. When he wrote about 60 AD, 
He was writing primarily to the Jews because he came from a Jewish background. He was one of the original 12 guys. Christianity was becoming more and more a Gentile movement. The Jews had by and large rejected Jesus. It goes back to, you know, the religious leaders saying that the disciples stole the body, which Matthew knew they didn't do because he's one of those guys. And as he sees them slipping away and slipping away, and as he sees the people who were connected with that first generation of believers begin to die off, and the eyewitnesses begin to die off, he writes this account. And he's writing primarily to Jewish people, saying, Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah mattered. They longed for a Messiah. Their idea of a Messiah. And Matthew used to share this idea, because they all believed it this way, was that the Messiah would come into the holy city of Jerusalem, drive out all the Romans, and he would reestablish forever the Jewish kingdom of God. And all the dead Jews would rise up, you know, those who were dead would come back to life, and they would reign and they would rule. And that's what they were longing for. They were looking for all that, and they were missing all of that. He says, I'm going to tell you about the Messiah that is here. And he says, I'm going to give you the record of this guy's genealogy. And the word record he comes from the word, we get the word book, Biblos. It's, he says, I'm going to give you the book. Some things he's actually writing, this might be the title of the Gospel of Matthew, the book of, and it may be, and it doesn't matter. He's saying this is the story of Jesus. This is his life. And he's going to begin with this is his genealogy. Genealogies are interesting things, man. They really are. And, and there are two genealogies of Jesus. The Jews love genealogies. I mean, they love them. And so Matthew has one and Luke has one. And if you read them and put them side by side, they're going to look different. And they are different. And people think, well, there's conflict. We can't ever know who's telling the truth. Well, they both are because they're looking at it from different perspectives. Luke wrote his gospel. Luke was a Gentile. He was a doctor, very, very detail-oriented. He said, I'm writing this, and I'm getting a lot of information, and I'm piecing it together, and I'm giving you this factual understanding. And it begins with the life of Jesus, and it goes all the way back to Adam. Now, there's some people going to be skipped in the process. We get it. He goes back that way. Matthew's different. Matthew's writing with the mindset of, i got to tell you about he's the Messiah. So he starts with Abraham, goes to David, then he goes David to Jesus. Now, in the section both have between David and Jesus, it's different. And the reason is they wrote for different reasons. Luke is giving you the bloodline of Jesus. Now, obviously, he was adopted by Joseph, and I get all that. But he's giving you the bloodline, the factuals of his birth. Matthew is focusing on his royal line, the right that he has as a descendant of David to be king. And so you see in Matthew's account all these kings. And the genealogies are messy. Genealogies by nature are messy things. A lot of you probably are searching all your genealogies, right? I mean, some of you at Christmas, you're going to give somebody, you know, subscription to genealogy dot something or other, you know, and, and that's cool. And, and I, people always ask me, do you ever want to know your genealogy? I'm like, no, not really. I know how messed up my family is. I don't need documented proof. <laughs> but somebody evidently somewhere along the way, have you ever had this happen to you? That all of a sudden somebody pops up and says, hey, we're family. And you're like, I didn't know that. Happened to me last October. Now, you need to understand, my mom and dad divorced when I was three. My mom got remarried when I was five, had family, two more girls, had two daughters. So I have two sisters younger. My dad got married about 10, 11, when I was 10, 11 years old. Something like that. And he had two sons. You know, they're good guys. You know, I don't see them very often. They're good. But I, my sisters were my sisters. And, and they were actually, last October, the 1st of October, they came down uh, to see Debbie. If you, you know, Debbie was very sick. She passed away a few weeks later. And so they came to see her, kind of said goodbye. And, and they're heading back on a Monday. And I come in my office that Monday. And actually, I think it's like right around the birthday. maybe may have been Debbie's birthday. And I come in. I had this note. They need to contact this lady. And I look at this name. And I hadn't seen this name 
in over 50 years, which is amazing considering I'm barely 50 myself, but I haven't seen this name in over 50 years. And this lady happened to be the wife of my dad's best friend at that time. My dad's closest friend, it was his wife. We did things together, I knew them. I have no idea how she found me. So I call her, said, how can I help you? I talk, do you remember me? I remember you. And she says, I got something I gotta tell you. I said, okay, shoot. You got a sister. I'm like, yeah, I got two, but I don't think that's what you're calling about. So what? She says, uh, you have your sister because your dad and I had a daughter together. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Whoa, didn't know that about my dad either. <laughs> and so, okay, see, so you're married to my dad's best friend. And in the background, I hear her husband of over 60 years talking. I'm like, oh, you're still together. This is even weirder. So she said, you know, it was one of those situations in the 60s. She was raised by other family member, and somehow, as inevitably happens, finds out that she, who her real mother is, blah, 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 blah. She wants to know her birth father, who he is. She won't tell her. Eventually, she does a genealogy. She finds information, and she says, basically, can she talk to you? And I said, sure, she can call me. In the meantime, I call my sisters who are on the way home. I said, you'll never guess this. Guess what? They said, what? You know how you two are my sisters? And they're like, yeah, we know you're sisters. There's another one in the family. Only she's not on mom's side, she's on my dad's side. And they think it's funny. My brothers don't think it's funny because it's their dad, but it's a funny story. So this woman calls me up and she says, I just, and I get it, I get it, I get it. I just want to know something about my father. And I'm like, well, I think we can start with the fact that he's a lousy friend. Why don't we start there? <laughs> she you know, family's messy. You know, your family's messy. You're laughing at my family. <laughs> You're, you got them. You got skeletons, man. I can tell some of you are the skeleton. It's messy. And you look at the genealogy of Jesus, and it's messy. They don't clean it all up. You see the kings, you got, you got uh, you know, Ahaz in there and Manasseh. They were horrible kings. In fact, later on, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 23, you know, Matthew's quoting an angel speaking to Joseph. They're quoting the prophet Isaiah about the virgin birth of Jesus, which he spoke to Ahaz. I mean, it's a messy group of people. They got and women, and listen, they, the Jews in, in, in Christianity elevates the role of women. They got women in that genealogy, four of them. All of them have, you know, iffy past. You got Tamar. Tamar dresses up as a prostitute, seduces her father-in-law so she can have a child because he won't give his younger sons to her after her husband died, which she was supposed to do. That's sketchy stuff. You got Rahab, who was a harlot. Some say, well, technically she was an innkeeper. Yeah, back then it wasn't a big difference. <laughs> you got Ruth. Well, we love the story of Ruth. My connect group the other night, we were talking about Ruth. What a wonderful story. Have you ever read Ruth? I mean, it's a great story. Great woman, love story. It's a love story. But Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, plot. They plot and connive to get this relative Boaz to fall in love with her. That's the storyline. And in the end, if you understand Hebrew and the way Hebrews wrote and think, you wouldn't understand that basically what she does is seduce him. And he goes along with it because he's a guy. He doesn't know better. He does. And don't even do the Bathsheba story. Oh, my goodness. Bathsheba sunbathing about 100 yards away from David in the middle of the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, a lot of the women... You know, in the scripture, they're fantastic, wonderful role models, Deborah, the judge, Abigail, you know, Abigail was great. Um, you know, you got Delilah. Delilah, guys, Delilah, the first time any woman ever said to a guy, you don't love me, was Delilah. Tell me why you're strong. I can't tell you that. You don't love me. That's what happened. You gave in right there. Esther, I know you women love the story of Esther. Have you ever read the story of Esther, what it's really about? 
Esther is the very first episode, that very first episode of The Bachelor. It is. <laughs> and it's actually the original Golden Bachelor. <laughs> she got married. She got married because she won a contest. And it wasn't a spelling bee. You understand that, right? I mean, the Bible has all of this. And it doesn't hide it. And it says, this is the family of Jesus. It's messy and that's okay. It's okay. Because the main thing that Matthew wanted you to know, that in all of this mess, he is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And that mattered. Those guys mattered. I mean, Abraham, the idea of son means to descend it. There's a connection. There's a legal and royal and birth connection. Abraham. It wasn't just that Abraham was the father of the Israelites. It, it says in chapter 12 of Genesis, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. All of it. In fact, when you get to the New Testament with Jesus, and then the New Testament writers, but this starts with Jesus. Jesus says, the true children of Abraham are those who follow me, Jew and Gentile. That's it. He says that. You read in Genesis, you read in chapter 15 about, you know, and who the descendants are going to be. He's going to bless them through a descendant in chapter 17, 1. And, you know, and who is this? Who is the descendant? How does this all come about? The New Testament clarifies, in fact, Paul, the, the Pharisee of all Pharisees, before he became a Christian, Paul clarifies this in telling the church in the book of Galatians who were Gentile believers being tempted and led astray to go follow all of Judaism, that this was the right way. This is what Paul writes in Galatians uh, 3.16. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say to seeds as one would in referring to many, but rather as in referring to one and to your seed, that is Christ. He says the seed, the blessing, the promise, Jesus. He's the one. And then he talks about David. He's the son of David. I mean, David was the guy. I mean, the Messiah had to come from David. Everybody was waiting for the Messiah to come to Jerusalem. And he had to be a descendant of David. And you need to understand, by the time Matthew writes, there aren't a lot of genealogies left. Way back when, Herod got rid of most of them. In a few years, when there become this great destruction of Jerusalem, there hardly be any genealogies left. The genealogy of Jesus is one of the few that we actually have that's reliable. And in that, he said, he is the son of David. And God made a promise to David. And that promise is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Forever, man. Your throne shall be established forever. God says, hey, David, you're going to be a king. And, and your descendants will always rule. Your throne, your family, your house will never stop. Now, that wasn't literally kept because we know historically. Right now, there's no king. There's no king sitting on the throne of David. Even the Jews understand that was, that was speaking from a spiritual, eternal standpoint, and they understood quickly that they were speaking of someone who would be the one who would reign forever as the Messiah, that he would come and reclaim the kingdom that belonged to them. They got that. They knew that. They understood that. And Matthew writes his story. He's going to tell the story of Jesus, and he's going to start with the family. And he's going to tell all of that. And, he's going to, and what he does is he just sits down, and he begins to write about all the things that matter about a family. And he tells about the birth and the celebration, and they're all together. In those first four chapters of the book of Matthew, six different times, Matthew will write, this happened to fulfill what was said 
by the prophets. Six times in the first four chapters, he's going to say all of this goes back to the promise of God. All of this goes back to what God was saying because this guy's the one. And so we have the Christmas story and it's time to celebrate. And he starts in what to us seems like a boring thing, the genealogy, and I get it. But what really mattered to them, and here's the thing to get, that the Christmas story, the birth, begins with the family of Jesus. And it tells us, he is the one. Oh yeah, he is the one. So Matthew begins his story with family. Then I want you to see that Matthew invites us to join his story. He says, come on. I want you to be a part of this story. I want you to get involved in this story. I wanted to speak to you. Christmas can be hard. I know that. I mean, for all of the celebration, for some people, Christmas really hurts. And there's lots of reasons for it. For some of you, this is the first year that you're going to be without people in your life. Certain people. I remember last year, it was my first Christmas without Debbie, and it was different. It was weird, you know. And, and even this one, you know, it's still a little bit, you know, different. You know, I, I look at my house and all the decorations that I had to put up that were all her stuff, you know. I mean, it was ours. I get it, but make no mistake, I didn't buy all that stuff. She did. I did cut down from six trees to three. <laughs> I cut down from 60 nativities to 10. I gave a lot of them away. Some people in here, I think you have an activity or two, gave some of those away, uh, which is good. But it's still, and I see all that. I know, I get it, man. And for some of you, you, you're a married couple, but this is the first time your kids or grandkids maybe won't be here. And it's just going to be another day with you. And instead of seeing all of your kids and grandkids, you're looking over and saying, I got him again. You know, that's what you're thinking. And for some of you, this was a year, maybe your family just got torn apart for some reason. And it broke up. God, that hurts. I know that. For some of you, Christmas is a reminder of failure. It's a reminder that somewhere along the way you messed up. That somewhere along the way, things didn't go the way you planned. For some of you, it's just a reminder of the sin in your life, and the hurt in your life, and the pain in your life. And everybody's celebrating Christmas but you. And for some of you, that's what it is. I think Matthew understood that. I really do. Because when he sat down to write this book, he thought about his people. He thought about those Jews. He knew they were broken. They'd been slaves for so long. And don't get me wrong, they had some freedom, but they were slaves to Rome. I mean, Rome dictated their life. And they were broken by Rome. They were longing for a Messiah, and they missed him. And their religious leaders had become so corrupt. Their religion had just completely missed the mark everywhere. In fact, Matthew didn't even know this, but in 10 years, the Romans would destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and basically destroy their religion. It would never be the same, and it is not the same to this day. And he knew they missed out because they missed Jesus. And so he sat down and he said, I'm going to write about what God promised, and I'm going to write about the man that fulfilled that promise. And in doing so, Matthew did this. Matthew invited all of them. He invited all of them. Come follow this man. Follow Jesus. Follow him. When he finishes with the birth, he talks about the baptism. And then he talks about the temptation. Then he talks about the time that Jesus just sat down. And he told in abbreviated form, Sermon on the Mount. 
He said, this is about the kingdom. You want the kingdom? Jesus said, this is the kingdom. This is what it means to be a part of my kingdom. And he began to talk about the character that you had. He talked about the change within your life, that it wasn't about ritual. It wasn't about form. It was about what's in here. And he said, you take all of the law. And Jesus said, it's not about just following the law. It's about having a heart for people, having a love for people and caring about people. And not just following the rules and regulations. You talked about religion. It's not about being seen in public with your praying and your giving and your fasting. It's about the privacy of your relationship with God that changes who you are from within. And he said it's not about clinging to your money and your stuff that will one day disappear. But it's about seeking what is right in the eyes of God. And he says it's about looking at people and seeing they have value to God. And doing for them what you would want them to do for you. And it's about following a path, the path of Jesus. And Matthew said, when he was finished with that, people were shocked. Because he taught as one who was authentic, who was real, who had authority, not like the religious leaders. And then he did this amazing thing. Jesus began to go out among the people and he lived with them. He lived life with him. He walked with him. Matthew begins with a leper. A leper was the biggest social outcast you could ever imagine. Take what happened a few years ago with the COVID pandemic. Multiply it by 100. That was the life of a leper. No one would ever touch you. No one would come near you. If you had this dreaded disease, people lived in fear of you. You never felt human touch. And one came up to Jesus to be healed, and Jesus grabbed him brought him into him, and he healed him with love and compassion this man had never felt. This was Jesus, and people saw it. And he walked with people, and he healed them when they were broken. When they couldn't walk, they could walk again. When they couldn't speak, they could speak again. When they had demons, he drove them out. There were even occasions he took someone who was dead, brought them back to life. And Jesus would take the biggest sinners the most outcast of all outcasts. And he would sit in their home and eat with them. And Matthew was one because he was a tax collector. And Jesus came to this tax collector and said, follow me. And Jesus went and lived his life with this guy. He went into the home of this guy and other tax collectors came and they ate and they laughed and they told stories. And somewhere during that time, Jesus said, guys, your life's got to change. You can't keep living this way. Turn to me. Follow me. And he lived and he did this. And Matthew knows what it was like to feel the forgiveness and the love of this one man. And the religious leaders hated him and they despised him and they looked for a way to kill him. And it was right before Passover on a Sunday. And Jesus came into Jerusalem. Oh man, it was something else. He was riding on that coat, fulfilling the old prophets, old prophets. And, and, and Matthew says, we were with him. And there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people lining the street, wanting to just touch Jesus, wanting to take their cloak and throw it down, wanting to just see him crying out, he is the Messiah. He is the one. The one they longed for had come into the holy city. And a few days later, the Jewish leaders conspired to take this hope and put him to death. And they did it with the Romans. 
And as he tells us, they put him on a cross. It was the cross designed for someone else, a horrible human, a wretch of a person who deserved to die. They didn't take him there. They took Jesus, and Jesus was there, and Matthew heard him say, my God, my God, why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? At that point, Matthew would have turned and walked away. All hope was gone. There was nothing to look forward to. It was over. And they would take Jesus and they put him in a tomb. And Matthew knew that, that when they rolled that rock there, the Jewish leaders were so scared of Jesus because they knew that Jesus talked about the fact that if you kill him, he'll rise again. And they were afraid, not that he would rise again, but the disciples would steal his body, not realizing the disciples were running for their life. And so they went and they had Pilate seal that tomb off and put guards there so that it was theoretically impossible to steal the body of Jesus. And they hid. And all was lost, and all hope was gone, until it wasn't. Until on the third day, a group of women went to check on the body of Jesus. He wasn't there. It was gone. And then all of a sudden, Jesus was with him and them, and they saw him alive. And he hugged him, and they held him, and they rejoiced with him. And a few weeks later, later, they were in their home of Galilee, and Jesus said, here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to take my story and share it with everyone. Tell everyone my story. And when they follow me, I want you to baptize them. Then I want you to teach them everything you know, and I'll always be with you. I want you to invite them to become a part of our family. And so, Matthew, that's what they did. That's how they lived their life, and here he was, 30 years later. He said, here's what I'm telling you. I saw this with my own eyes. I heard everything he taught. When he took a boy's lunch and multiplied it so that it fed thousands upon thousands, I tasted it. And I collected the leftovers. And I experienced what it is to be broken and full of sin and to be loved and forgiven. And when I saw him that day, after he had been crucified and buried, when I saw him alive, then I knew. I absolutely knew this about Jesus. He was the one who was the one. And he is. He is the one, the only one. There is no other person who can change your life. In some of your lives, you need to be changed. There's no one else who forgive your sin, and some of you need your sin forgiven. And there is no one else who can bring you to God, and some of you today need someone to bring you to God. It's Him. And today you can experience His love like you never have. You can experience a love you didn't know existed. It's the love God you find in Christ. And in that love, you can experience the forgiveness of all your sin of all your guilt, of all your pain. You can have your life completely changed. You can see and feel the brokenness be made whole and the loss turned into victory. All of that can happen through the one who is the one if you will but trust him with your life. So some of us are going to stand here 
And we invite you today to come and give your life to Jesus, to follow him. We invite you to come and pray, to receive whatever forgiveness you want, to come and pray for those you love, to come and join our church. Whatever you need to do, do that. But be sure that when you walk out of here today, that when you leave this place, you leave knowing this one thing more than everything else, that you, in your life, you follow the one who is the one. So Lord, celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate the joy, the hope, the happiness. We praise you, we honor you, we glorify you. And we celebrate it together in the name of Christ. We celebrate it together, Father, because of all that he's done. Speak to us, touch us, work within us, that all of us will know this Christmas season that truly Jesus is the only one. He's the one. Change us, forgive us, and bring us to you if we will just follow the one who is the one. Amen. Would you stand?